Hey, this is just a disclaimer for episode 910. I've been feeling under the weather recently, and I this is my first time recording by myself, so just bear with me a little bit, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello, you're listening to Sideline Saturdays. This is episode 10 or 9. Not sure what, um, which one we're uploading first. Today we have a very special guest today, somebody with a very impressive resume. They've gone to 24 years of school, 6 years doctorate, 2 years master, and 4 years undergrad. Uh, they've been to several different travel locations. It would take too long to name them all right now, so we'll do that when we get to the travel segment. It's my cousin, Shin. Would you like to give it like a brief like summary of yourself or like introduce yourself at all? Sure. Uh, it's first of all weird to be introduced as someone with an impressive resume because I don't think that about myself. I think I've just been uh, kind of caught up in school for way too long. Um, but I guess about me, uh, I'm a person who's really curious uh, and I think that's kind of the thing that ties together my school, my travel, and my profession. Um, and that's what's driven me to do all these things for all these years. Okay, that sounds fair. Um, so what we're going to do today is usually it's more of a sports-orientated podcast, but we're going to get away from that today because we're missing uh, my co-host Jelani Smith. He had something to do for the holidays. So today we're just going to be talking about some of her resume because I think she has a pretty interesting job in being a soon-to-be psychologist, and I think she's had a pretty interesting life with all the places she's traveled. So we'll probably um, probably talk about her school, travel, and then her career in that order. Uh, we're not gonna, there's not gonna come with the same energy that I usually come with Jelani, because it's a different podcast, different flow, I'm more running the show this time, so we'll be right back. Hello, welcome back to Sideline Saturdays. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about her school career now, and, well, I wouldn't call it a career, but her school so far. So she's been to 24 years of school so far, which is a lot of her life, a huge portion, I would say, most of her life. I don't know if I could do it. She's done a four years undergrad, two years master, six years doctorate, four years high school. They were all honor roll, three years junior high, all honor roll, five years elementary, obviously, because you have to go to that. And so all together, that's 24 years of school. So while we're on the topic of that, I have some questions for you. Mentally, did you feel obligated to get honor roll or was school easy for you? Uh, it, it wasn't easy. Did I feel obligated? I think unconsciously I felt obligated. There's a weird thing. So, so children's brains make sense of their world the best way that they can. And a child's reasoning isn't very good. So when I was like four years old, this is when all this journey started, um, my mom uh, would always pay the most attention to me when I was doing something academic. Mm -hmm. That's what made her excited. That's what made her happy. That's what made her proud. So my child mind interpreted that, unfortunately, in some ways, as the only way I can get my mom's attention is if I am smart. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I constantly had to prove that. And it got to a point in kind of junior high and high school where it felt overwhelming. Um, so I, I still did it, but it felt, it, I guess in that sense, it did feel more like an obligation. Uh, and sometimes it got so overwhelming that I, I couldn't even go to school. I couldn't do the work. I would shut down uh, because it felt like it had to either be perfect or I couldn't do it at all. So yeah, it, it was, those were really rough years and that carried over into college too. 
Was there any point during like the honorable years where you were like, okay, this isn't so bad or this is easy or? Uh, maybe some classes came easy to me mm-hmm. in junior high, uh, where they were fun. Maybe some writing stuff. That's not true. I never really liked writing. Uh, some of the math, some of the basic math. I was like, okay, there's a concrete answer. I know if it's right or wrong. I can learn the process. That felt safe. Um, but yeah, I, th- I would say the rest of them I found challenging and stressful. Did you go into um, like the school year saying like, I'm getting on with this year, or is it like just something that happened? It was more expected. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I didn't even think about it. It was like I have to. It just was. It had to happen. Did you ever, like, did your friend, you ever see your friend and wonder why they weren't getting on a roll or were they on, like, was it ever, like, a question of why am I the only one doing this? No, because what happens is when you are in, when you're kind of like a lifelong honor roll kid, you ended up in junior high getting pulled into higher level classes. So, like, you got a harder math class and you got a harder English class. So, everybody within your class was on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it felt like we were all just a bunch of weirdo nerds. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it didn't feel... <clears throat> there wasn't comparison or judgment from me. Now, I had friends in high school who would want to check my grades and want to check my papers and would kind of, like, shove it in my face when they got better than me. And I was like, okay, like well, I don't really give a fuck. I'm mm-hmm. just doing this to earn my mom's love unconsciously. So... Um, so yeah, I didn't find myself comparing because mm. I was so hard on myself. I certainly wasn't going to compare myself to other people. I had enough internal crit- yeah. criticism happening. Would you say that your standards for yourself were higher than anybody would like set for you? or that, like... Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because when I told my mom, because I didn't figure out any of this stuff until I went to therapy in college. Mm-hmm. I did not know. I didn't understand why this was. I was just like a miserable, anxious, depressed kid. Um... I don't know why I'm doing well. I just know that I have to or else. Um, but yeah, when I figured that out and I came to my mom, it actually happened. I failed freshman year biology in college. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown because I was like, my parents are going to disown me. They've paid all this money to send me to another state. Uh, I need this class to get into the rest of the classes. Um, if I tell them, they're going to be furious. And I, I, I was sick to my stomach. I was like, this is going to be the worst holiday ever because it happened right before Christmas. I had to come home and tell him and I was like, this is going to suck. And I told him and they were like, oh, okay. And I was like, I beg your pardon? I failed a (laughs) class. I failed a class that you paid a bunch (coughs) of money for and that I'm going into debt for. And Mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, everybody fails classes. And I was like, everybody what? Since when? Like, I was allowed to fail classes? Like, you still love me? I'm not on the street? I had, like, I had no idea. I didn't put that together. And then they were like, yeah, we love you no matter what. Sometimes you try and you fail, and that's fine. We'll figure it out. Totally foreign concept to me because it had never happened. Mm-hmm. Did no- you, um, did you ever, like, was there any point in school where, like, before you got to college or even when you got to college where you were like, did you not feel like doing it anymore as far as, like, honor roll? Did you ever feel like just, like, slacking off a little... It felt too dangerous because I felt like before I failed, mm-hmm. I was sure that my parents would disown me. Mm-hmm. Like I was just sure. I had no data to prove that. Um, oh, that's not true. I did have data. The only time in my whole life, because I'm such a rule follower, the only time I ever got grounded was when my grades went from an A to a B. You got grounded for that? I got grounded for that. 
So I learned that bad grades were not acceptable under any circumstances. Mm -hmm. So in fourth grade, and when I got grounded, I was like, fuck, okay, they're really serious. I can't screw around. I have to get perfect grades uh, or I'm in trouble. Um, and that wasn't true at all. Mm -hmm. and, but my, my little kid brain, that's how I understood it. But now as an adult, I know that my mom just wanted me to have a better shot at life than she did. She was trying to kind of fix what she didn't feel like she got from her parents. Um, but I, I couldn't understand that until I got to college. Mm -hmm. So as far as early years, would you ever, um, if you could go back, would you do the same as far as honor roll wise and like no. trying as hard as you could or would you like settle for like a B, C or like- Definitely Bs and Cs are great. Mm -hmm. I think what matters, uh, grades matter once you get to high school-ish so you can get into college-ish. Yeah. Um, and then college-ish to get into grad school-ish if that's your path. But I think what matters more than anything is like other life skills, like learning how to budget your money, um, learning not to be a social weirdo and like being able to make friends and manage things, being able to work um, and like manage conflict at work. So I think conflict resolution skills and connecting skills and life stuff is way more important than academics will ever be. Mm -hmm. So when you, um, I think I have some regulation of you graduating first in your class. Yes. Um, what level of school was that again? That was from high school. It was a high school. It was high school? Yeah. And that means that, like, out of everybody, you were, like, I mean, blatantly the smartest of everybody. No. I wasn't, I don't, and I don't consider myself the smartest of anybody. I technically, the valedictorian technically has the highest GPA. Mm -hmm. It was actually somebody in my class that I thought was definitely smarter than me. Mm -hmm. But she was fourth in the class. Um, just because of GPA and this was crazy. We get to high school graduation. Uh, there was, I was neck and neck with the guy behind me. And I realized if I didn't get an A on my AP English exam, he was going to be valedictorian and he was a fucking cheater. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if this motherfucker gets up on stage <coughs> as the top of our class and he has literally bullied people into giving him his homework, I was like, I'm going to have a fucking fit. And I was mm -hmm. like, I can't let that happen. I didn't care about my AP English at all, but I, I aced the test so I could beat him. That was the only time I got competitive. So that was the only time yes. you think, was it fun or was it? It wasn't fun, it was stressful. But I mean like when you finally like when I finally got paid it, it I off, like, yeah. yeah, like you finally got yeah. it. Yeah, so that felt good. Mm -hmm. um, but, so we get on stage and they announce Randy first. He's the, he's the second in line and he gets to make a dumb speech. Mark, they didn't let you do it? Well, so he went first and then I went second. Okay or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he goes up there and they're like, Randy has gotten straight A's from his whole career and this is a GPA, blah, blah, blah. And everybody's like, hey, Randy, whatever. And they go, I go up there and mm -hmm. I had gotten two B's in high school, but because I took harder classes, my grades were weighted higher. And so I technically had a higher GPA. Mm -hmm. When they announced to that like stadium full of people that I got two B's, there was an audible gasp, like, <gasps> The valedictorian has two Bs, and the guy behind me has straight A's. They mm -hmm. were pissed, and, I, and then I felt like really embarrassed. That must have been hard to follow up with. I mean, Randy comes up there and makes a speech, they announce yeah. all A's, and then they're like, oh, and here's Shannon with and two Bs. And here's Shannon so. with two Bs, who technically beat yeah. this asshole. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a weird feeling, and I felt really like sh embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And like, was I not good enough to be valedictorian? I didn't care, I just didn't want him to be. Mm -hmm. but so I have you him. always been competitive, or? Not with grades, mm -hmm. uh, for my, against myself, but not against other people at all. Mm -hmm. um, most of my close friends, a lot of my close friends in high school were stoners mm -hmm. who were like almost failing. Uh, 
and, the, and then the drama kids and we never, ever, ever talked about grades. I didn't know what my rank was in school until like the last six weeks. Mm -hmm. So they never like give you a heads up like, hey, you're leading your class or anything like that. So there are some people who were competitive who would go to their guidance counselor for like guidance appointments and they'd be like, what's my number? And I didn't know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. I, it was like off my radar. Yeah. I had no idea. I Did people ever come and let you know, like, hey, you're top or like, are they not? Mm -hmm. No. So no. you you didn't find out until like the last six weeks that yeah. you were like top of your class. Yes. And then I was like, oh, I have to beat Randy. Was and there a bit of it. an ego boost off of it or did you, was it expected? I don't, I don't care. You don't, it doesn't don't matter to you at all? all? No. I, myself, if I thought I was top of the class, I just, the way I would walk through the hall would be completely different. <laughs> I was such a weirdo nerd though. Like I didn't, I, it didn't matter. It felt, it was like embarrassing. Mm -hmm. That I was like such a nerd that I was in the top percent. I was kind of weird. I don't know. I probably would. I probably would have got like a like an ego boost and walking around like <laughs> like everybody else here is com like considered lower than me <laughs> education wise. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I because it, it came with such a price. Like I don't wish that on anybody. Mm -hmm. So with a resume like yours, does it like do you feel like a sense of like superiority when you talk to anybody or not really? No, absolutely not. Do you think that it would happen to most people and you're special like, in that regard? Because, I mean, I personally, I have a bit of, like, a superiority complex with most people and, like, an ego thing. <laughs> you do? It's like a secret. I don't really talk about it, but it's like I secretly look at people and I'm like, whatever they're doing, I'm like, I could do better than that. It's just like, it's like a small thing. Like, I don't talk about it much and I try to keep it quiet because I don't, mm. and that's why I, I get kind of upset sometimes when people like, like stroke my ego. It's like, you don't need to do that, please. Because I'm doing it all yeah, the Yeah, it's like, I, I, I'd rather you be harder on me, like level me a little bit. Mm, okay. I didn't yeah. know that. That's it's just like, it's an inner thing I do. Like I, like I secretly consider myself the songbird of my generation. Like, wow. I think I'm a pretty good singer when I, yeah. Okay. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to brag. My other co-host Jelani is an awful singer from what I've heard, but he's even told stories on the podcast, but I think I'm the songbird of my generation. All right. Well, I look forward to you proving that I, correct. It's hard to do. I, like, I've, I haven't done a whole lot, but when I do, I mean, your mom has cried before when hearing me sing. That just does not surprise me. She also cries at everything. That's, yeah, that's me so that's keeping fair. you in that's check. That's fair. <laughs> she cries when they pave the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, this road is so nice. Like, yeah, that's your mom is a sweet person. But, <laughs> but I'm definitely telling. I definitely tell everybody. I was like, I made my aunt cry with. Uh, with your beautiful yeah. voice. Yeah. My lyrics have the power, kind of power. All right. I look forward to being moved to tears it's, by the songbird of our generation. I can't promise anything, but I wouldn't be surprised. All right. Um, so we'll move on to the next question before we get too off topic. Is there any sort of, I already asked, is there any sort of ego, but like, is there any at all? Like, is there any time you're like, you walk into a room, do you hear people talk sometimes and you're like, everybody hears children or anything like that? Hmm. I think I feel frustrated when people are mean to each other. Mm hmm uh, I don't think I'm better than, than them, but it makes me sad and frustrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I guess that's the only, that's like the, where I separate myself from other people. Like, yeah. I'm not a jerk. Um, and, but I, I have judgmental thoughts like everybody else, but I've worked on that a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. and so I work really hard to be Was it ever kind. like a huge problem for you or no? Like me, as far as being judgmental? Yeah, I should have gotten fired from my second job. Uh out of college because I, I like completely bitched out my coworker, like totally inappropriate, rude, yelled at her. Just, yeah, I just yelled. I was for, like a total rage face. Because, <coughs> so she assisted uh, the president of the company. Mm -hmm. And in, in my very judgmental interpretation, uh, I felt like she didn't care about her job. 
mm-hmm. as much as I did. So that was me saying like, I'm, I care about my job more than you do. What was the job again? I was a receptionist at a hedge fund. And she was an executive assistant to the president of the company. And she would just be missing for hours of the day. She would take a two hour lunch. She would get a mani-pedi during work and get paid for it. Uh, and that bothered you to like see other people doing that? It bo- that bothered me. And then like the few basic things that she was supposed to do, she regularly didn't do or did wrong. Did and you like make up for her work? Like did you like I pick up her slack? To. I had to because I'm not willing to let the CEO of her company look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like that's not okay to me. My job is to make him look good and for things to like go smoothly. So I had to clean up her mess all the time. And one day I just had enough. And Mm -hmm. she was walking by and I said, you know what? Everybody can do their fucking job here, but you. And you need to step it up because this is not acceptable. How did she respond? She was floored. Nobody had ever spoken to her that way. I'm sure. I I don't think anybody's, most people don't get spoken to that way. No. And I had been in the company like two months. Like, who mm-hmm. am I? And I'm How a long kid. She, was she there? Was she there like she years? She was there for years. Like, nice. um, like, close to a decade. And I'd been there two months. And I'm a kid. I'm like 22. Like, she knows. I don't know. Did you ever apologize it. for it or no? No. 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 That's... <laughs> but I did go to a lot of therapy and meditation. And I became much less angry and a lot nicer. Mm-hmm. So. Why do you think you felt the responsibility to make, make your CEO, like, look good? Because I think... I, I really care about doing a good job and being proud of my work. Mm-hmm. I don't want to show up to a job and do it halfway. Yeah. Like I, if you're paying me, I'm going to earn my salary. And mm-hmm. it's probably related to that academic stuff too of like, I want to do things well. I want to be proud of what I'm doing and probably some pressure to like win approval in that way. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, personally, when I was, I worked at my job for a while, I didn't, like I started off like that. Like I cared about the numbers, like who was rated the number one driver, who had the quickest times mm-hmm. and all that. But then I, after a couple months, it was just like, let me just get paid to get in and get out. And I'll yeah. take, I'll, I mean, I was literally buying smoothies for coworkers so I could leave early. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. at that point it was just like I'm done with it I don't really care anymore I, nothing nothing good has come of me being number one it wasn't worth it to me yeah and I think you have to decide that and sometimes you have to do it by trial and error so I've mm-hmm. worked at places where where there was a lot of reward for doing well and people cared and it was appreciated and when it's appreciated I'll do it all day long mm-hmm. but if it's not appreciated you learn that that doesn't matter and then you start to take a step back and I think that's that's healthy yeah um, but in that's that stage of my life I I don't know, thought I was a more ethical worker than her. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand, because I would, like, I have that sort of thing, but I kind of do it, like, all the time. Like, I'll scroll through on Facebook, and I'll be like, are people really, like, this old, and they haven't grown up at all? Like, mm. just, like, the terms that they use other people. Like, I understand some of them are, like, troll groups or whatnot, but it's mm-hmm. like, are we really this old? Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel, it makes me feel like I'm such, like, so old when I hear people say it. It's like, are you guys really, like, kids? Come on now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah, and that's like I think that's the only thing where it's like, and sometimes I get frustrated when, like, I give somebody advice and they keep complaining about the problem and they haven't like attempted the advice. Oh my god, welcome to my world. Yeah, that's my whole entire career. So. So yeah. that's I mean, as I'm at that point, it's like then stop asking me for advice because <laughs> yeah. I've given you advice. Yeah. Like I think with somebody, I can't, I'm not going to name drop here, but uh-huh. I give them advice and then they'll go to somebody else and then they'll tell them the same thing and they'll be like, I think I'm going to do this. And I'll be like, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, I had to come from that place. Yeah, I'm glad. I've been telling you for three months. Yeah, it's like nope. you could have been on your way already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the last question regarding school. We're going to, I do cut it up into three segments. Mm-hmm. Um, so was school fun for you at any point or was it always an anxiety-filled thing? <laughs> 
Uh, parts of it were fun. So in junior high and high school, my fun was in theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a great time. Those were, that was like the most free and exciting and emotional part, I think, of my high school and, and junior high career. And I loved that. I lived for that. Mm-hmm. I spent my entire day in the theater. I ate lunch in the theater. Um, um, why did you stop doing things as far as like theater? Like, did, you, did it just like not become practical at a certain point or was it just like... Actors get weirder and weirder the older you get. Yeah. So like, I mean, look at Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. Adult actors uh, can be psychologically very fragile and need a lot of ego stroking, Mm -hmm. and uh, can be dramatic. I don't want to generalize because I know there are a lot of people that aren't. Yeah, I mean, if they're offended by it, they're probably in the. That's probably one of (laughs) us. Totally right. But my director in in high school Mm -hmm. used to always say. I couldn't be an actor because of the actors. And mm-hmm. I, I got that when I got to college. And I was like, these people are taking this way too seriously. And they're they're mean about it and strange. And they're competitive and will sabotage each other. And I was like, I don't want any part of that. Did anybody ever sabotage you or no? And, uh, I don't think directly. I mm-hmm. think there were some wishes that I would do poorly. But I don't think anybody like. Well, so you were that me. good that they had to like sit here no. and wish for you to be better. No, I was not that good. I was not that good. Um, <coughs> I think, I think I was a decent team player, and mm-hmm. I think that got me really far. I didn't realize until my last year of high school that a lot of the reasons people got parts were politics, mm-hmm. and it was like, does the director trust you? Are you like? moldable Mm -hmm. um do you take direction well and the people who were like wiling out like i'm gonna do whatever i want they're not getting parts because you can't trust them yeah you put them on stage you don't know what's gonna happen you don't know what's gonna happen and so 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 i think it was partly because i played the game and i was a decent team player Mm -hmm. so um you've been in like big plays before right i would not say big uh because i didn't do anything well what would you estimate would be like your largest audience that you performed in front of oh gosh i don't know however many of the auditorium held at school it was small you were never you weren't you didn't do any plays outside of the auditorium or no mm, i mean we went we competed in like statewide competitions mm-hmm. uh and there were probably 200 i had that feels really generous maybe 150 we'll just people leave it i don't there. know it, i don't know it buffs up the resume a little bit performing <laughs> plays in front of 200 people <laughs> that feels like way too many um but yeah i wouldn't <coughs> i wouldn't say we did anything big big um mm-hmm. It felt big at that time, but it wasn't. I mean, it was all small. So that was some of your funnest times in school was doing that? Yeah, it was awesome. And then in college, it was studying abroad. That Mm -hmm. was so fun. So fun. It was the first time I felt free because our classes were designed to be easy. Mm -hmm. And you weren't allowed to take class on Friday because they wanted you to travel. So you had Friday, Saturday, Sunday off every week. Yeah. And they were like, get out. Just go. Just go see the world? Yeah. and, And like, whatever, fuck your homework. Like... Your homework is doing a finger painting. That's a true story. You really had a finger painting I really one? had to do a finger painting. Did you painting. ace it? I nailed it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I made a mess of it. Um, so yeah, so that was really fun. It was it was really low pressure. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. That must have been nice. Yeah. I mean, did you would, would you like want to travel again at some point to oh, a lot of different sure. places? Yeah, yeah, I have a million things on the list. Um, as far as like her travel resume, I'll give a uh, brief breakdown. If I pronounce any of these wrong, correct me. Um, Spain, Italy, Greece, Croatia, France, Czech Republic, Portugal, Switzerland, Belgium, Peru, Ecuador, Mexico, and Canada. Yeah. Those are all of those. Um, on the subject of travel, have you, what are your, after all those places, which could you give me a top three or your favorite place you've been to? Definitely Spain, 
Sevilla. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the best orange I've ever eaten in my whole life. It's very okay. fresh. It sounds pretty fun. I mean, I've eaten a lot. I've eaten some pretty good oranges in my life, but oh my gosh, this orange would change your life. It changed my life. I I'm gonna have to even order talk. some oranges from Spain. Yeah, do it. It'll be worth it. Mm -hmm. um, so Sevilla, Spain. Uh, the Greek islands, mm -hmm. uh, Mykonos and Santorini, most beautiful sunsets you'll ever see in your whole entire life, and food. I mean, you've never had a Greek salad until you have a Greek salad in Greece, and it's oh, just like, yeah. it's just a plain old salad, but like... Do they just call it salad there? I, that's a good question, I don't even know. Do they call Greek yogurt Greek yogurt, or is it just yogurt? I don't know. I imagine it's just yogurt. Mm -hmm. I would I imagine. I think it's the same way with like Hawaiian punch, but I think they still call it <laughs> Hawaiian punch. punch. They don't just call it punch out there. <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, so, so Greek Island is definitely my my number two, and I think uh, I've been in love with Peru, and that's been my second home for three years. Mm -hmm. I think that's run its course. I think yeah. I'm, I'm done and I'm moving on from there. But but that was that felt like home for for a while. Did you keep a lot of the friends that you've had made there? Like, are you in still Peru? talk to yeah. like and just in general out of like all the places you've been to? Do you keep a lot of friends when you travel, or not really? In, 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 when I studied abroad, I did not, because we were in and out. We yeah. were in and out for a couple of days. Uh, when I went to Peru, I've been there, I don't know, seven times in three years. Mm -hmm. um, and I only go to one town. That's it. And only it's one a town? tiny town. Do you, like, keep a lot, there are a lot of people there know you? Like, yeah. do you still talk, like, while you're out here, do you still yes. talk to a lot of friends from there? All the time. I just got a message, a bunch mm -hmm. of messages for the holidays. Like, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'll stay in touch. That's nice. I mean, it, okay, so they say that, like, I know you've been, outside of the views and the visuals, is there anything, like, different about the people there? Does it feel really different, or can you kind of see, like, similarities between, like, here and there? There's there's big differences. Because mm -hmm. uh, I've heard people say that, like, Canada or, like, Mexico, like, they're the same, their people just say they're different. Hmm. I think... So, so yeah, if you're there long enough, when you first get there, it's culture shock. And you're like, yeah. this is different, and this is different. People have different, different accents, they talk different, yeah, yeah. different uh, restaurants, food. Sure. And then after you're there for a while, you're like, okay, like, this is normal now. But even with that, there are still things that are significantly different. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're cultural things. So, like, in Peru, when you walk into a room, you have to say hello to every single person individually. If it's a, if it's a small, if it's, like, under... I don't know, 15 people, mm -hmm. under 10 people. You have to say hello to everybody individually and you give them a hug and a kiss on the cheek. Really? If you're a woman. If mm -hmm. you're a man, you shake hands with a man. But mm -hmm. if you're a man, you, you kiss a woman. Mm -hmm. Every single person. If you don't do that, you're a dick. Really? And I didn't know that. <coughs> <coughs> so I got in trouble, sort of, uh, at this place I volunteered. Because I would come in and just wave hello. Mm -hmm. Just like, hey, and then I would go do my job. Yeah. And they were like, why is this girl such a jerk? Mm -hmm. Like, she doesn't say hello. It's disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Did it, once you figured out that that was like the right thing, did you do it every time after that? Yeah. Did but you ever, like, were you ever having an off day and you were like, you know what, I'm not hugging anybody, yes. I'm not giving it, you didn't do it and you didn't? Yeah. And I, and I know they just thought I was a jerk. And I was yeah. like, whatever. I'm foreign, like, yeah. get over it. It's I, I mean, I think they would assume that, like, you know, I, like, I wouldn't just assume that, like, if I was done, I wouldn't be like, she's being rude. I'd be like, well, maybe she just says no. Yeah, you hope that they give you the benefit of the doubt, and sometimes mm -hmm. they don't. Yeah. So, um, Peru, like, I mean, you've lived there, you said you've been there seven times in mm -hmm. the last three, three years. years yeah. So, do you have anybody, like, that moves out here, or, like, that's, like, talked about coming out here to visit you? No, the economy there is terrible. And mm -hmm. uh, so basically for every, like every American dollar is almost like the equivalent of three 
of their dollars. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not just the exchange rate, like it actually, like the cost of living is triple in the US. So if they were to come, let's say you came with like a hundred bucks, that would only get you like 33 bucks here and like you really couldn't do anything. So it's very hard if you're living in that tiny town because it's very rural, mm -hmm. it's like rural-ish. Um, so if you're not like a business owner there, you're not making enough money to travel yeah. to big places. Um, so nobody has come out here yet. One of my, my very best friend from there is thinking about doing a surf competition in California. Mm -hmm. And I would try to go meet up with him there if he came, but, but it's hard, it's much harder to get out. Mm -hmm. So now that like, uh, I don't know if you're still traveling the same way you used to, but where do you stay at now? Right now I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. Mm -hmm. um, I've been there a year and a half. I don't have a ton of money to travel. Uh, I did go to Peru once this year in August mm -hmm. for a couple weeks. And you probably won't be back there again for a while. Yeah, I think I, I feel like I feel like I've kind of worn out my welcome there, and I'm I need to move on to something else. Yeah. Um, there's some social stuff there that's complicated. Um, but yeah, I think I think I'd like to see Puerto Rico. So two of my very very best friends are from Puerto Rico. Uh, and I'd love to, to see the island. I'd love to see Costa Rica. I'd love to see Nicaragua. Um, I have a lot, I have a long list. I want mm -hmm. to see a lot of things. That's fair. I mean, I've never been more of like, I've never been a huge travel person. It's not one of the things I ever want to really do that much. Hmm. Cause I'm more of like a home, I like to stay inside. Mm -hmm. I find my memories are like sitting down having conversations or playing board games with people. Hmm. You wouldn't want to do that with like really different people? Uh, I don't know if I like really different people, ah. so that's, I know who I like now, and I think I'll just, I keep a small circle. Yeah. That's how I try to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's comfortable. Yeah. Um, I think last question regarding travel, is it hard, like, leaving people, like, like friends, when you know you're, like, you're, like, for example, the last time you were in Peru, you knew you weren't coming back for a long time. Mm -hmm. So was that rough for you to leave? It wasn't this last time, because I felt really frustrated with a lot of my friends there, and I was like, all right, good i won't see you guys for a while mm -hmm. um in the past times it has been very hard i've dated some people who were in peru and we've tried long distance stuff so mm -hmm. that's awful um even with all the technology that we have um but yeah i really i really felt strongly connected to a lot of people there yeah so every time i would leave i would just cry for an entire week straight i would just fair. cry for a whole i week. mean it's hard when people you care about you have to leave them especially yeah. when they're so far away yeah yeah it was really hard so, um, last question is for anybody else in college. Um, do you have any advice regarding college to anybody? Like, as far as like socially, should they go out as much as possible? How long do you think they should go? Is too much school like not a good idea? Mm. I would say do the things that matter to you and mm -hmm. not the things that matter to your parents or your friends, etc. And that you have to keep checking in with yourself. Like, is this what I want for me? Yeah. Uh, is this what's going to get me to the best version of myself? Um, it's very easy to be influenced by what your family wants of you, by what your friends expect of you. Um, and so you have to keep asking yourself that question over and over and over. Did you ever change majors while you were there? I did because I failed biology. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was, was that the only time? Yes, thank God. Although I almost didn't pass another class uh, because of anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, I just couldn't turn in the last paper and they, they were generous enough to give me an incomplete and let mm -hmm. me finish it. But, but it was, I, I scraped by a few, a few classes. I think I got a C in another class. How did you end up like, did you, does your anxiety still get out of control sometimes or no? I've been in a lot of therapy, mm -hmm. like a lot of therapy. So it's much better than it ever has been. Um, and it still comes up. So, mm -hmm. so. Well, that's fair. I think it's like a thing that doesn't really go away. 
what I've seen from people that I know that have anxiety, because I have I know a couple people. In fact, most people I know have some sort of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that a lot of people who think they have anxiety, I wouldn't say they necessarily do. They just have to like get out there and. I think if you force yourself to do a lot of things you don't want to do, sometimes it's not always a good idea because I've seen it happen to people and it's been like, it hasn't really haven't reacted well to it, but sometimes you can kind of like shake yourself out of it. Yeah. And that's the basis of, of a type of therapy where it's, it's called exposure mm-hmm. and you gradually do things that are, are scarier and scarier for you. So you learn that you can manage it. Yeah. It's just something like, like example, like, uh, like when I started going to the gym, it was super awkward. I yes. felt everybody was constantly staring at yes. me. And I would like constantly like stacking myself up against certain people, but now it's yes. like I'll just go at midnight just because I feel like it, and I don't really care, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only time it's awkward is if I see somebody I know there, and it's like I kind of avoid eye contact. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Okay, so we'll be back to talk about psychology, and we do have one sports-related topic. It's not going to be long, but we'll be right back. All right, we're back with the final segment of Sideline Saturdays, and I do want to have one more travel question. I know I said it was the last one, but I'm just going to ask another one anyway because it's my podcast as well. So um, do you find it hard to connect with family members or any like people who live around here because you do travel so much? I think, I think what's been hard is um, people's prejudices or mm. assumptions about other cultures. Um, but I don't, I don't know that it's so much my, my travel that's, that's influenced that, but the fact that I can speak another language. Mm-hmm. And so... And you can speak um, English, Spanish, and you can understand most French or some French? I uh, understand maybe 60% French. Okay. Um, and can say a handful of things. Um, but I, I speak Spanish fluently, and I've done... Uh, I've provided therapy for people in Spanish um, who came, who immigrated here because of dire circumstances back home. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about like the political stuff of, you know, people coming into our country and stealing our jobs, I just think that's complete and total bullshit. And mm-hmm. I have a hard time, um, I have a hard time not getting angry about it. Yeah. Having, having met the people, having talked to the people, having heard what it's like to cross the border at Mexico. Um, that, so I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for that. That's understandable. I mean, I think I can side with you on that. I mean, I don't want to get too into politics because, I mean, nobody likes talking about politics. So. Totally fair. But I think at the same time, I understand how that would be hard. You have friends that are from there. You, I think I think you could have you could say you have more of an understanding than most people on it because you, talk, you, you understand both sides somewhat. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. So you've seen, like, what they've told you what it's like and you're friends with them and you've, like, experienced some of the emotion they've been through with. Yes. And then you've also seen, like, the side on this side. Yes. Sure. So I think that's and while we're on the topic of therapy, you um you're gonna graduate from like you're gonna get your psychology like degree in January. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you excited like, for that? that I'm very excited. I would be such a relief. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of school. Do you plan on doing that like long term, like like for the rest of your life? As I mean, as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really really enjoy the work. So Did you get into it to help people? Like, is that your main reason? Yeah, and I think partly because I had one therapist who wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and who I felt, I felt like she let me down. Yeah. Um, and now, now that I know where I'm like having, having learned what it's like to be on the other side, I know there's, I was just like a total, I was not ready for therapy at that time. And so it wasn't her fault or do you think she could have handled it better? I wish she had done things differently. Mm-hmm. And I can recognize that I wasn't really showing up in the room in mm-hmm. the way that like to actually receive help. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it was, yeah, it's to, to try to do better and to, to help people who are suffering. Do you ever find yourself like, I I know therapists sometimes, I think it's called psychoanalyze people. 
Yeah, that's what that's what people think I do all day long. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you ever find yourself doing that to people you know? I it's I can't turn it off. Mm -hmm. uh, I figured that's how it would be like like um you just start like you do it. That's just something you have on all the time. Kind of. I think what's different is that like people think I'm when somebody's like, oh my god, you're gonna psychoanalyze me. What they think it means is I'm gonna find out all of your trauma and I'm gonna judge you for. Like that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, but I think that's ridiculous because that's not like your therapist sits in your chair and judges you. Like, that's no, not their job. No, but I, but that's the way I feel when somebody says, like, oh, it's okay, yeah. it's like, why don't I me? I mean, I'm sure that's what most people mean by it because they have, like, this, like, plain, like, black and white view of how yeah. therapy is. Yeah, and I, it feels like they're afraid of me. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to, like, get in their brains. Like, yeah. I can't do that. I'm not a magician. I'm not mm -hmm. a psychic. You can only, like, see what people tell you, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, it's not anything that they don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So, I think, I think some people just have a hard time, like, finding out what's wrong with them sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, they would rather just not know. Yeah, oh, yeah. I know, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people like this. So, um, you plan on opening up a clinic at some point or something I, similar to that or more of an office space, I think you said earlier. More of an office space, yeah. I don't feel as ambitious enough for a clinic right now because I'm burnt out and tired from work, but uh, I would love to to see people in a, a private practice and, and have my own office someday. Mm -hmm. um, when a client comes to you for help, is there, any, like, is there anything you have to do mentally to prepare for it? Like, do you need like time beforehand to get ready for it? Have you ever been caught off like super off guard by something? Uh, I try to, so sometimes I see clients back to back to back, mm -hmm. um, where I'll see three or four in a row. And so for me, I like to have at least five to 10 minutes in between mm -hmm. where I can reset. Yeah. I don't want to bring in all the Somebody else's like yeah. thing to somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. So I usually like have a snack, run to the bathroom, grab a drink of water, say something to my neighbor next door, uh, and then I'll start the new session. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had any like people that you were friends with ask for help like therapy wise and does mm -hmm. that bother you? Mm. Um, some people, so there have been a few people who have leaned on me a little too much yeah. uh, and who have treated me really consistently as a therapist over and over and over again and then when that's, I, I'm okay with that sometimes mm -hmm. but then they don't listen to me. Yeah, and so it's, it's all one-sided, like you're yeah. giving everything and they don't want to help at all with your stuff. Then I'm not interested. Yeah. But if it's mutual and I can talk about my stuff and you can talk about your stuff, I'm okay with that. But I also will, will always make the caveat of like, I'm not your actual therapist and I'm yeah. not going to... You're not getting paid you. for this. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'll listen as a friend, but there's mm -hmm. a very big difference. Like, like I won't, I won't work on change strategies with a friend, but like I will try to help a client change stuff they're stuck in. Yeah. It's different. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have do you have a hard time ever drawing that line? Like or letting people know like, hey, that's enough? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, because I, I really want to be kind and Yeah, I you want don't want to come out rude like, hey, stop telling me your problems because I'm yeah, not your therapist. But exactly. I mean at the same time, you're not you can't listen to everybody's problems all the time. Yes. Yeah. And it's hard and it's hard for me. So one of my biggest challenges that I've had for years is setting boundaries and saying no. Mm -hmm. And so being in this profession, I have to practice that over and over and over. I've gotten better at it. Mm -hmm. I'm still not as good as I want to be at it. So yeah, that I makes sense. To grow. Um, is it hard to set boundaries in therapy? With clients? Yeah. Uh, or is not. it more professional than and it's like it's easier to do because you don't have to see them afterward until they come in again? Yes, mm -hmm. that's much easier. Because like imagine a friend who asks you for help and then they go home and they, you know, yeah. implement your advice and then they call you and then they text you and then they follow up. It's like, fuck. Like, yeah, like they're constantly yeah. like asking you and you can't like get rid of them unless without kicking them out of your life. With a patient, you can just kind of like, 
cancel it if you need to. I gotta wait a whole week. Like, yeah. they can't they can't just show up at my door. They can't show up whenever they want. No. And if it ever gets like too bad, you can just be like, all right, you might need to find a new therapist. If I don't think I can be helpful, mm -hmm. um, but if somebody is, is as a client, is like overstepping those boundaries, I will always, always, always talk about it with them and try mm -hmm. to fix it. I'm not gonna kick them out. Yeah. Um, so we'll try to work through it and fix it and figure out what it's about uh, and see if we can have like a healthier balance in, in our, our time together. Um, but if that doesn't happen, the therapy that I do is very much about like radical honesty. And so if a client is, is overstepping boundaries and it's, and I can't be helpful because they keep pushing the boundaries, I will say that. Have you ever had to tell a client to, to maybe go to somebody else or? Uh, that's a good question. And was that kind of like a last resort thing? Like that's your the last thing you want to do? Yeah, that's the last resort. First I would talk with the client, then I would talk to a supervisor and another supervisor. I would get a, I would get a lot of input about how I can be better. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would work really hard on that. And there are some times where, where you're just, you're not the most helpful. Um, I haven't, I don't know that I've, I've actually said that. Oh, I have said that to somebody before. Mm -hmm. I have, I have. Um, most people don't want to hear that. Is that hard for you to do? Very hard. Because mm -hmm. I mean, awful. I mean, most people come to you as like, at least patients come to you as like, you're supposed to be their savior, you know, like you're supposed to ha like put them back together mentally. Yeah. And, and then when you have to tell them no, it's like, they feel like there's nobody that can help them. I mean, if a therapist says they can't help you, then you're kind of like, well, what am I supposed to do then? Right. And I would never be like, I, I can't help you. Good luck. I mm -hmm. would say, I can't help you. And I think this person could. Yeah. So I would do my homework and figure out who is the type of person who's going to be the most helpful with this type of person. And, and based on the type of therapy they do, based on their personality, based on whatever, I would make a recommendation. I'm not going to send you out in the cold and be like, mm -hmm. good luck. Yeah. I mean, I think you have a very like meaningful career right now. You have the possibility to help shape people's lives in a better way or Hopefully. pick up the pieces that they need help picking up. So, I mean, I think that's an amazing thing to do in itself, especially to dedicate yourself to doing that for the rest of your life. Um, so how is it when a client decides to stop coming in? Does that bother you? Do you feel like you need to check in with them? I mean, like, they sometimes, I'm sure they're not in a, the best shape, and when somebody like that stops coming in, you always assume the worst. Yeah, you can. Uh, there are some clients that will stop coming because they're doing great. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, yes, mm -hmm. awesome. But it's, I, mean, I, was, I would think I was referring to more like the ones that don't say anything. They just stop coming in at all. They don't yeah. like give you a, a heads up. They just stop coming in. Yeah. Well, sometimes they're doing well and then they just stop coming and they don't tell you. And and part of that hurts because you're like, well, I wanted to celebrate with yeah. you. You wanted to let them know. You wanted to like see like the improvement and like see yeah. that they're doing good. Yeah. And be like, hey, man, good job. You did so well. You don't need me anymore in yeah. your life. I think it'd be like if you were a personal trainer and all of a sudden they just stopped showing up because they thought they were in good enough shape. Yeah. Yeah. Like it feels good, but it would have been nice to say goodbye. Yeah. Um, so there's that situation and then there's <coughs> people who um, aren't doing so well and then stop showing up. And yeah, of course you worry about them. Yeah. Um, I, I usually will reach out uh, at least once, sometimes twice, depending on what they've how been bad going the shape, through. How bad it is? Yeah. And, and just say, hey, I didn't see you for session. I want to know if you're all right. I just want you to know you're always welcome back. Give us a call to reschedule. Mm -hmm. Hope you're well. Uh, and, and the place I work now, we have, so they can see me for individual appointments. They can walk in for an emergency appointment and see somebody immediately. And if the office is closed, they can call a hotline and get help immediately. So yeah. I always say that too. Like, I'm not the only one you have to see. 
Like, if you need something right away, come in right away. I think that's cool because, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, they're never, like, just stuck, you know? Yeah. They always have a way out. Yes. Which yes. I think is really important. Yes. But do you ever, like, sit there and, like, wonder, like, about, like, past clients that you, like, you wish you knew what was going on with them? Oh, my gosh, yes. <coughs> I always thought that'd be one of the hardest parts of therapy, like, if you really got invested in somebody and you really wanted to help them and then they were just, like, they just stopped coming in. Yes. Yeah. And and you do worry and you, you hope that they found maybe a different therapist or maybe they're trying something else or maybe something else in their life changed that's going better. And you just don't know. Yeah. I don't think know. as a therapist, you'd always want to try to assume the best just to, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't want to make it sound like it's a selfish thing, but just to like, so you can keep moving on with your thing. Right. To protect your own. Because I mean, yeah, if you were to sit there and think that like somebody like committed suicide or something awful like yeah. that, it'd be hard to keep helping people knowing that you let like one slip through your fingers. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you have to remember that like you can't magically wave a wand and change people yeah. that part of the responsibility of the change is on the client themselves so if they they don't come and i reach out and i try like that's all i can do i can't go to their house yeah you can't go to the house you can't like can't keep calling like, yeah, them at a certain point it can become harassment exactly yeah and and i have to give them agency to you know decide what they want to do and how they want to manage their their concerns yeah i always thought that would personally be like the worst part especially totally. if you really i mean that'd be like at a certain point what i want to ask i think is um when they, is it hard to draw the line or like to stop yourself from becoming like close friends with somebody uh it's it's not um mm -hmm. because it's it's so clearly inappropriate mm -hmm. and it's so i mean we learn so much about that not being okay so you're not allowed to become friends with people absolutely not Mm -hmm. uh, there are some rules, I don't know, some guidelines, like, you know, in four years or something. I don't know. There are these goofy things like, well, you know, if in these four years, if you haven't been a client, then maybe. It always feels like a gray area. Because imagine this. You spill your guts to a therapist for a year, let's mm -hmm. say, six months. It's a completely one-sided relationship. Yeah. The therapist knows all your dirt. And you don't know anything about that. Not a damn thing. Mm -hmm. And then you go and you be friends, quote unquote. Uh, how hard is it going to be not to fall into that dynamic of like, help me out with this? Yeah. What do you think my mom meant when she said this? Mm -hmm. What should I do about this best friend? Like, yeah. you're like, Fuck. like I don't want to work. I don't want to work in a friendship. Yeah. So like, no matter what, it wouldn't work. Have no you ever what. become friends with somebody you um helped out or no? Not, no, not as a, a real friend. There are people that, that I feel connected to and I think, oh man, if you weren't my client, it would be cool to be your friend. Mm -hmm. But I would never, I would never pursue a friendship with a client because I don't think, I just don't think it would work out and it's not ethical mm -hmm. within our Have you ever dumped any of your stuff onto a client at all? Or Absolutely like, not. Never? Not even no. to like help them relate to you? Um, there are times when you can use self-disclosure very, very intentionally. Mm -hmm. So like that story I told you about going off at that lady at work. Yeah. So I've told that in group therapy to a group of teenagers who are constantly screaming at their parents um, so that they they know even their skills training. Yeah, nobody's perfect and exactly. they're not like nothing's necessarily wrong with them. Right. But I'm not going to say like, oh my God, you guys, I was so depressed and I used to think about like hurting myself because like, I'm yeah. not going to make them worry. Yeah. So it's, it's little benign things that are relatable, but mm. that don't reveal too much about you. Um, and you never ever want to put your own worries on a client. You don't yeah. want to make them concerned for your well-being. Have you ever made that mistake before or no? No, mm -hmm. no. They drill that into you so hard in grad school mm -hmm. and we hear examples and uh, like the damage that it can do. I've also had a client who was with an abusive psychologist before me mm -hmm. and did a bunch of weird shit. And so like, I know how damaging that can be. That, so yeah. I'm, I'm very cautious. Mm -hmm. 
is it constantly running through your head like stuff that you're not allowed to do while like talking to them or no? Or is it kind of like drilled into you where you don't even have to think about it? The first year you're like, can I say this? Can I do this? What am I supposed to say? Do they think I'm weird? Am I being dumb right now? Is this, am I being helpful at all? This is a waste of time. Why did I do this? I'm never going to do this right. So mm -hmm. like the first year is absolute hell. Yeah, because I mean, there is like so much like responsibility yeah. put on therapists. Yeah, you're like, oh my God, I'm ruining people's lives because yeah. I'm not a good therapist, which is not true. Mm -hmm. um, so the first year is awful. And then after that, it starts to sink in. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get follow-ups from like people like years later after they stop seeing you to say like, hey, I'm doing great and I'm glad yes. you helped me? Mm -hmm. Then that's the best thing that's ever. That's gotta be probably one of the most rewarding things oh, as a therapist. It feels so good. It feels so good. And very few of my clients have my contact info, mm -hmm. um, but a few of them do and, and have sent me, you know, pictures of, you know, that you're in a new relationship or they moved or they got the school new job or whatever. and. And that's always nice to hear. Yeah, that's gotta be pretty cool. <clears throat> um, So your main reason you, uh, was uh, going to psychology was because you wanted to help people, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have any other side reasons that you thought it was interesting? Do you like find how the human mind works interesting or any of that stuff? Oh, for sure. And I think to also it's part of like fixing myself because mm -hmm. I had so much anxiety and depression as a kid that I wanted to understand more of like, why did that develop and how can I help other people not go through that? Um, so it's partly to understand my own mind and mm -hmm. my own family. Do you um, find yourself categorizing people that you don't there like you're not in therapy like oh this person's a classic this or that? Maybe, <laughs> maybe a little. I don't want to admit that because I I feel like I'm reinforcing like the weird therapist stereotype. But yeah, it definitely yeah. happens. Mm -hmm. um, but like mostly the extreme ones. Yeah. You're like my God, what a narcissist. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm sure that happens. I'm sure it's hard to turn off, like, that kind of thing, yeah. Because yeah. you're, like, as you're required to do it all the time while you're at work, so. But I mostly keep it in my own little brain. Yeah. And so, like, I'm not going to say to somebody, like, you're such a fucking narcissist. That wouldn't be very nice. And yeah, I don't, don't think they'd appreciate that. Um, But some, but I'm, I'm going through, like, checklists in my head, like, oh, that sounds like this disorder. Mm -hmm. That's fair. I mean, I think I would do the same. Yeah. Um... All right, so I think I have one more therapy question, and then we're going to move on to the last segment, which is basketball. Because we always have to have a little basketball in the podcast, yeah. that's how it is. Yeah. So, like, as a therapist, do you think, like, everybody needs therapy, or some therapy, or no? Before, so I have, most of my life, I thought everybody needed therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, not that everybody needed it, but that everyone could benefit from it. That um, you learn so much, you grow so much, you can be so much happier even if you're pretty okay, mm -hmm. you could be way better with a little bit of therapy. Um, so I used to believe that. And then I, I actually have two people in my life that I think don't need therapy. Mm -hmm. And I've never met anybody like that. Um, thank God one of them is my partner. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's nice to be with somebody That's who's nice. like yeah. really psychologically stable, had a really wonderful, thoughtful mom mm -hmm. uh, that just instilled him with um, kind of all these life lessons. She used to take him to poor neighborhoods and make him give away his toys so he could be grateful for what he had mm -hmm. and so he could contribute and have a positive impact on other people. So she did all this stuff to help him build self-awareness and like understand who he was in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so he's one person who I, I think is really well adjusted and doesn't need therapy. He lives a very successful, fulfilling life and is happy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I have another really close friend who is, is really just together. She's just, she knows what she's, she wants and what she needs and she does it. And 
Mm-hmm. She sets good boundaries, so. That's nice. Yeah. Um, do you ever, like, when, as a therapist, do you have to, like, unwire people's brains to think a different way or no? Um, like, I'm, like, how do you, how would you suggest to help people get rid of bad habits, possibly, mm. mentally? So I would I would have to look at what the habit is, mm-hmm. um, and there are ways to target things by changing your thoughts. So mm-hmm. all of our thoughts are, are habits and patterns. There are ways to change what's going on in our life by changing our behavior, and there are ways to do it by changing our emotional state. So there's a million different tools to do that that are specific to what the person is facing and kind of what their personality is. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some people who <laughs> just like outright reject everything that I do or they say this doesn't work, which is why we have a million different tools to figure out what fits for them. Yeah. Do you ever, um, is that, does it ever not work or is that ever like very frustrating to deal with or no? Oh yeah, it can be really frustrating. Um, there are some people that I've worked with who will come in week after week and we talk about specific ways to change their life to make it better. And then they don't do it. Mm-hmm. And then they come back and they're like, this thing is still the same. And I'm like, well, did you do the thing? Well, no. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's still the same because you didn't change anything. Um, but but what they've decided is that my life's not better, therapy's not working. Yeah. But it's because you didn't do anything, you know? You can't yeah. just come in and talk to me and expect your life to magically change. You have to actually go home and do some shit yourself. And we'll talk about that and I'll support you in that. But like just talking to someone doesn't magically change your life circumstances yeah. at all i mean i can see i mean I, it might help like it's like putting a band-aid on like a dam you know like it's exactly. not gonna do much yeah. it'll help for the time being but it's not gonna well it's not long term it helps with like relating and feeling like you're not crazy and being heard like that's amazingly valuable and that can mm-hmm. take so much pressure out of your life but if we're talking about long-standing anxiety and depression you have to you have to do things differently in your life you have to stop avoiding things you're afraid of. You have to stop beating yourself up mentally. You know, there are things that you have to continue to work on and practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think the, the most frustrating thing to me has been people who say therapy didn't work when really they haven't been able to do the work. So my job in that situation is to figure out what's getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I've said, I don't think you're ready if you're not ready to do the work and maybe we should take a break. And what happens then is they're like, oh no, 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 mm-hmm. I need this. Yeah. I, my life is miserable, I have to change it now. And then I've had people who go home after that conversation and change a bunch of shit and then come back and they're like, I feel so much better. And I was like, cause you did it, you did yeah. the things. So um, so yeah, that, that part can be hard cause I want them to feel successful and I want them to feel like therapy is helpful mm-hmm. because I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any like crazy stories as far as therapy or like um, the? I mean, I know there's there's patient. Com- <coughs> Sorry, um, I know there's doctor patient confidentiality, mm-hmm. but or is there? So if none of those like travel or like school stories, you think are just like bizarre, or that you'd like to share, you think people would get a hoot out of? I think people would get a hoot out of a lot of things. Uh, but but I think about this: if I were in therapy. And my therapist went home and talked to their family and used my story to make other people laugh. Mm-hmm. I would feel very hurt. Yeah, I, I mean would... that's somebody's personal life that they're exactly. making fun. Exactly. Exactly. So they're... do you have any um, travel or um, like school stories that are just like I can't believe that happened? That's crazy. Oh, let's see. You don't. You don't have to like pick a bunch of them. Just like, is there anyone that comes to mind when you think about that? 
Oh gosh, I have so many. I mean, I've I've done some very embarrassing things traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one time in, um, we were in on spring break in Europe, mm-hmm. and I had never drank before. Yeah. Because I, I was a rule follower, and if I wasn't legally of age, I wasn't going to drink. Yeah. Such a rule follower. It's terrible. Uh, but I get to Europe, and I'm of legal drinking age. So I decide to start drinking, and I don't know how, so I get blackout drunk, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my friends goes back to our hotel, and I'm out with another friend, and we're like, we're going to enjoy the last of our time here. And our friend's like, okay, but we got to leave, like, first thing in the morning mm-hmm. to go to another country on a plane. So, like, don't fuck this up. We're like, we're fine, because we're drunk. We're yeah, like, no. of course. Uh, we end up both blacking out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know where the hostel is because I'm in the hotel. I'm in a different country that I've never been to, in a city I've never been to. We magically make it back to the place we're staying, and it's getting closer and closer to the plane time mm-hmm. because we decided not to go into the place that we're staying. We're just going to sit on the front step. Yeah. It's like five in the morning, mm-hmm. and we're just sitting on the front step, and our friend who's the responsible one who went back in is waiting and waiting and waiting and freaking out because we got a plane to catch and we got to go. Yeah. And she can't contact us because no one has cell phone service in Europe. Mm-hmm. Fun. Uh, so she opens the door randomly and there we are sitting on the front steps and she is furious. I can imagine I'd be pretty upset too. I mean, yeah. nobody knows they're blackout drunk till it's too late though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really sucks when it negatively affects people you care about. So. Yeah. Uh, she had to rally us together, pack both of our bags, get both of us on a bus to the airport. Uh, and I was trying to go through customs and I'm still very drunk. Mm-hmm. And she grabs me by the shoulders and she's like, Shannon, get it together. And I was like cracking up. I thought everything was hilarious. I can imagine. Uh, I mean, I, that sounds like something that would happen in like a movie. So uh-huh. I can imagine how funny it would be in like real life. And she yells at my face. She's like, I need you to pretend that your dog just died. Your dog died, Shannon. Your dog died. And I, I get this like really sad face and I like make it through customs with my passport and then I immediately start cracking up again. Um, oh my god. That's, and then when I was getting yeah. off the bus to get to the airport, she goes, Shannon, there's a step. Make sure you see the step. And I completely face planted into the cement. Yikes. I deserved that. I mean, I deserve, yeah. At that I think point, like, I was a little bit of karma. Yeah. I definitely deserve that. So, so I, I still feel bad about that. Uh, we were still really close friends for a long time after that. She was a very generous friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a lot of learning to do as far as what I could handle alcohol wise. Mm-hmm. It was a good night. And it was a, <coughs> it was a very funny story. I mean, it's not something that, like, knowing you, I would assume happened. I know. Right I know. I've been such a yeah. rule follower. I mean, I, kid. that was like mind blowing. I mean, like, as far as like. <laughs> Oh, that was... As the last person, I mean, I think that would happen, too. Uh-huh. I have a lot of other people I know that I think that would happen, too, before you. Uh-huh. That And that's just one of many, so... I'm looking forward to hearing them some other time. Uh-huh. Um, so, last question. It has to be somewhat sports-related, because a lot of our followers are. Yeah. I know you've had the pleasure of seeing one of the best to lace them up, <clears throat> Michael, Michael Jordan. Um, can you tell us anything about going to a Bulls game and watching, like, Michael Jordan play? Oh, my God. I was so obsessed with the Bulls. I had <laughs> Bulls jersey. I had a Bulls starter jacket. Um, I had Jordan shoes, um, I made a sign, like, when we went to the game. And when we went to the game, we we couldn't afford great seats. Yeah. So you're up there, and you, they're like little ants. You just see ants running yeah. back and, and forth. But you're, like, so excited to be in the same room with that kind of talent. It just yeah. was, like, euphoric. 
Um, so it was an amazing feeling, but the best feeling I ever had was actually going to the the um, stadium, the, was it United Stadium? Is that what it used to be yeah. called? Um, when the Bulls weren't there. It was mm -hmm. during one of the championships and they were playing away and they, but they still filled uh, the United Center with all the fans mm -hmm. and they had a rally. So the Bulls weren't even there. Mm -hmm. They just showed the game on the big screen. On the Jumbotron? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Benny the Bull was there and I made a sign and I got it on the Jumbotron and I met Benny the Bull and he mm -hmm. signed my sign and I had Go Bulls written out um, and each letter represented one of the players. So mm -hmm. like the O was Dennis Rodman and it said like the worm and it had a worm in it and all this like goofy shit. Um, but I, it was like, we sat fifth row for the rally mm -hmm. and it felt like they were there yeah it was just i mean i'm sure like being there during that time must have been like oh my god and the like whole life city's changing. on fire yeah the, the whole, whole city's city. the whole I, city's got bulls fever people are screaming everybody's excited. everybody and their fan mother has a michael jordan jersey yes and everybody's talking to everybody because it just feels like you were in this like enormous bulls family yeah and it, it feels like you're magic. you're basically like you and all the other fans are on the team too. You yeah, know? you and the entire fucking city of Chicago are the Bulls. Like mm -hmm. Chicago is the Bulls. Yeah, it was awesome. Do you have awesome. um, how many games? Did you, do you remember how many games are around? How many games you went to see? Oh gosh, I have no idea. Uh, I know we went to a lot of the rallies, and I know they were in the playoffs a, a bazillion times during my childhood. Um, actual games were much more expensive. We maybe went to. I, I would be guessing, but maybe three. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, and, and that's was, more yeah. than a lot of people have been yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah, it was it was magic. It was. I'm, I'm sure being in that time and being in the stadium and self watching them play was like no other feeling. You know, it's like something oh you can't gosh. replicate. Yeah, and to see the way they work together and all of their like goofy personalities, and mm -hmm. we had. Uh, we had like different cheers for all of them. Like Ewing was Ewing, <laughs> um, and Pippin was no tip and Pippin because mm. he was really notorious for not yeah, leaving I've gratuity heard the stories, for, yeah. for waitresses. So um, it was fun to feel so connected to the whole team. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that was an amazing feeling. Super cool. Well, unfortunately, it's getting a little late, so we're gonna have to wrap up the episode. But it was it was really amazing having you on the episode, and I think that you have a really impressive resume. And it was nice to hear a lot of stories. I appreciate you uh, letting me share and and getting to have this conversation with you. Yeah, it was really nice, and I'm glad you came on the episode. And maybe next time this year, we might be able to have you on again. That would be cool. So it was really fun. This is Sideline Saturdays. Um, follow us on Twitter. Facebook, um, not Facebook, we don't have one, but YouTube and anywhere else, Spotify. And if you have any suggestions, questions, comments, leave them in the comment section and we will get back to you. All right, uh, have a nice night.